Recording in three, two, one. What is up, everyone? Welcome to Education Policy Weekly. I'm your host, John Phillips. Today is July 22nd, 2020, and I'm so excited to be joined by Sinead Bond, who is a literacy teacher at a school in Texas. Today, she's joining me to talk about the reopening of schools, how the pandemic and the movement for racial justice coincide when it comes to schools, and about the media's perception of teachers. In addition to this podcast, I am kicking off a newsletter that I am really excited about. It's called 5x5, where I deliver five things to read, write, hear, see, and do right to your inbox. Each newsletter will be centered around a particular topic, and for the inaugural newsletter, which I just released on Tuesday, we'll be looking at justice from all angles. You can find the link to subscribe in the description box of the episode or on my Twitter, at ByJohnPhillips. I look forward to you joining the community. The media we consume defines us, so let's choose our content wisely. Before today's interview with Shanae, let's talk about what is going on in the world of education policy this week. A poll conducted by the Associated Press and NORC found that only 1 in 10 Americans believe that schools should return to normal in the fall. This result comes in the midst of a wave of decisions by districts to either stay remote for the beginning of the year, implement a hybrid model from the start, or usher students and staff back into the school buildings full-time to begin the year. While some large districts have already made the decision to begin the year with remote learning, cities like Chicago and Philadelphia see their districts attempting to implement hybrid learning, much to the chagrin of teachers and parents alike. For those opposed to reopening, the main argument lies in the fact that many school buildings in large cities that have been neglected for decades are not built to create an environment that is safe for students. In addition, there is not the necessary adequate additional funding to provide the adequate PPE for staff. And ultimately, opening up our most vulnerable children and the staff in those schools to the virus would be the ultimate outcome of that decision. Meanwhile, the White House has continued its attempt at making this issue a political one, with President Donald Trump suggesting in an interview with Fox News over the weekend that Democrats want to keep schools closed to improve their electoral chances in the fall, and Vice President Mike Pence welcoming South Carolina's Governor Henry McMaster in for a conversation, applauding him for pushing South Carolina school buildings to reopen after Labor Day. On the research side of things, many educational researchers from across the country have come together to draft a letter for all stakeholders to take into account while making decisions regarding the reopening of schools for the fall. I will leave a link to the letter in the description box of the episode. The group of researchers is pushing for increased resources for schools that are facing looming budget cuts, the implementation of universal computer and internet access for students, and more. That's it for the news. Before we dive into my discussion with Sinead Bond, please make sure that you are subscribed to the show on whatever podcast app you use. And if you already subscribe and you love the show, please feel free to give it a five-star review on iTunes. Without further ado, my conversation with Sinead. Thank you so, so much for joining me today. 
Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to, to talk with you. So I love first just to have you kind of recount what this summer that has had us kind of sitting in purgatory in terms of the reopening situation, what it's been like for you, what their trajectory has been like. And I, I'm pretty sure that your district just came to some type of decision about how the year will start. So I'd love to hear about the journey that, that you've been on emotionally for the last few months. We ended a lot sooner than, than a lot of districts in, in May. And so there was just this like collective sigh of relief amongst myself and my my colleagues and uh, this like rallying of we did it. And that was kind of in the middle of everyone, like really just like everyone was hype and excited about the work that we had done and, and pulled together. Um, and then it was, it became like, it, like over obvious that the pandemic wasn't dying down and our, I'm in Texas and our governor just kind of made these decisions to reopen and the numbers did not stop going down. They continued to skyrocket. Um, and so everyone's like, okay, this, this idea of normal, that everything's going to be fine. And then in the fall, just kind of dissipate this terror of what is it going to look like if it was bad in the spring, then going back to school when the, the numbers are triple and quadruple, um, is just going to be terrifying. So I have just been uh, communicating with my community and my kids are afraid and their parents are afraid and confused. Um, my community online is afraid. And as a mom uh, of a toddler who doesn't really quite understand what's going on, and as a teacher, and as just like a human being, it's just been so scary and not having any sort of information about what it looks like to go back into a school building, except for, you know, our, our federal government saying it has to happen has just been so scary. But today, um, probably five hours ago, we got an email saying that the first six weeks is going to be online because of the Department of Health and Human Services in our county. So that has been like a huge sigh of relief. And now we can kind of focus on what that looks like and building those communities so that our students have access to equitable, um, equitable uh, opportunities. And this isn't just wasted time. You brought up a lot of points that I, I'm interested to hear a little more about. And, and the first one that I'd love to kind of dig into is a lot of how the debate was being framed a few weeks ago about reopening was that parents want schools reopen and teachers don't want to go back. And, the, and they were making it sound and, and the they is the media were making it sound as though it was this very clear yes. line as if there was no nuance to both perspectives as someone who is both in schools and also is someone who cares deeply about her child how do you how do you actually see the parent perspective and the teacher perspective as being different than the way that it was being framed as, as this polarized very clear this or that perspective that was being espoused for the last few weeks 
because we in education have spent so much time kind of doing the same thing over and over again and kind of regurgitating the same things, it does seem like um, online or virtual education spaces, they haven't been built as robustly as possible. So I understand that people from the outside don't see um, online schooling as a viable option. But um, I think that from uh, an insider, it has been very much like to make a virtual um, educational space possible. So parents are dealing with, and myself included, how do I keep my kids safe uh, and continue to work? I have a two-year-old and working from home this spring was exhausting. Um, right now she is currently like drawing in a, in a giant Mormon cardboard box watching trolls and she'll be probably um, hanging out for about uh, 20 minutes and then she'll start freaking out. Um, but figuring out ways to keep her engaged and also um, engaging with my students actively from the time that I woke up until the time that I went to sleep and then waking up in the middle of the night because I was panicked. Um, and then I had parents who were trying to communicate with me um, on their off hours because, you know, my parents aren't, they're not just, you know, hanging out waiting for my responses. I'm so sorry. Um, so it, it's not just a, oh my gosh, you, you hate kids or, or you don't care. I, I've also seen a lot of, of teachers who assume um, parents don't know what's going on. Parents are just ill-informed. Mm -hmm. And that's not, that's not true either. That's absurd. Like parents are the, um, the experts on their kids. Parents know that being in school was absolutely better than what happened in the spring. What happened in the spring was thrown together. It was um, not cohesive. It was, it was different from class to class and from district to district. And so I think everybody is, I think we're all saying the same thing, that we want what's best for our kids. There was just a different, and, and what's best for ourselves, but there, there are just so many different, things to look at and from an outsider you don't understand that school means busing it means food it means um child care it really does and I know a lot of teachers are offended by that but we are watching kids we are watching we are taking care of children for you know hours a day and so all of these different elements come together to to do our job and it's not just oh, we have to go back or we don't have to go back. There are all these things that have to be taken into consideration. So there's not, there's not, as there are not, it's not rival camps. We're all thinking about the exact same things. It's just seeing it from two or two or three or four or 10 different perspectives. And I think that what you talked about when it comes to how the spring was put together, like we all know how it is to be a teacher in March that is the time where right yeah. exactly like that's the time where we are the most tired it is the the time where we're just like we just need to make it to spring break to get a little energy to finish the year out and so i think that we sometimes when we talk about the work that was done in the spring we're acting as if we had a full summer to plan it when in fact it was thrown together right. as quickly as possible but also when our tanks were pretty close to empty. So right. from what you've seen, both 
locally, but also just generally, what are the signs that give you hope about the places that are moving and saying, okay, we're going to start the year virtual and we're going to stay in it for as long as we need to. What gives you hope that this time around, this remote learning will be more effective and it's not easy to be more effective than it was in the spring, but a adequate enough replacement for in-person learning in certain ways, considering the circumstances. Um, I am first going to start with my own principal, uh, John Engel at Southwest High School. He has, um, because of the summer that we've had, when we had a huge kind of uprising when it comes to um, people voicing their um, unhappiness and disdain for our uh, political system and our police state and our the involvement of and, and brutality of, of black people at the hands of police. Um, and this is, this is, it's all connected. Um, mm-hmm. He has made it a point that everyone on staff is going to talk and we're going to discuss and we're going to be engaged in anti-racist work. So that's the point from which everyone in our staff is going to be coming together collectively. And I think that that's huge. That's, that's a different, that's different. Mm-hmm. What, what's, what's been happening just period. So having a collective point to go forward is huge in our school. And then having a collective point that's focused on anti-racism and equity that's big. And so for me personally, as an African-American woman, as a black woman, and as a mom and as a community member, um, hearing a person, an administrator, an authority say, our children, our community, not only are we fighting for rights and not only are, are we fighting for, you know, lives, we have to prioritize that in our school building. And this pandemic has brought that to the forefront. Um, And we need to use that in our school and our kids need to see that their lives matter in our school and everything that we do. That has been such a huge um, sign of hope for me. Um, in general and and as a member of that community so that's that's huge for me so having three and a half four weeks to to be able to say okay this is what this is going to look like and then knowing at some point that we were going to have have to offer some sort of virtual program for our students to be able to access and it had to be asynchronous so that our students have the ability to access it at, at their own time and in their own spaces, that has been really hopeful. And knowing that everyone had a very similar spring experience has been hopeful because our, and and not even just teachers, but our kids, um, they know kind of what to expect in terms of, you know, I need to, not that I need to show up, but my kids hated what happened. So it's almost like what I went through in this last year where 
the year before just at my school it was just a mess like we went through by the end of the year three different principals we we just struggled as a school and so i remember one of the things that happened at the start of last year was everyone who is invested in making sure that school works like after going through something hard students want to be a part of something that is useful and beneficial to them same thing for parents same thing for teachers and so i do think that there is an energy that is going to exist around making this work um and then also i think that there's a layer of the better that we can make e-learning the higher the likelihood that we're able to keep out of schools while it's still unsafe because i think that the the problem with the spring was that because it was so hard because it was so hard a lot of the time what ended up happening is people in the summer were like oh well we just need to get back to school without considering the teacher's health the student's health and so i i agree with 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 that point regarding the the idea of hope and then i also love what you named about having a leader who has explicitly stated that anti-racism is something that is important at this school. Um, Because having a leader say that, to say we care about making sure that our practices and our policies are anti-racist in nature really helps when it comes to something like this pandemic, because without a, Without that type of action, what ends up happening is the school doesn't have a guidepost that they can use. Um, They don't have a guidepost that they can use to really navigate the equity issues. And so in what ways do you think that we're going to be better prepared to be providing e-learning that is equitable with that additional month of planning? I was in a, a summit um, done by Leading Equity, and um, one of the amazing forums that I sat in on was talking about how we have limited our discussion about um, equity in, in uh, virtual spaces and virtual learning to whether or not kids have access to uh, computers and whether or not they have access to hotspots. When the reality is that kids have access to technology, right? Most of our kids have phones. Most of our kids know how to use them. What they don't know how to do is to create something that helps them best articulate who they are. And so I think that with a month of planning, they're right, um, trainings and with the right kind of information, we have the ability to help our kids become agents of their best selves. We have the ability to to help them figure out how to craft their own voices and to curate and come up with, we have the ability to come up with ways to help them make things that help them then become citizens of a global community. We Obviously, there are things that, as teachers, we absolutely love tech tools and tech tips that we are huge fans and proponents of. But now we have 
we have all of these resources and we have time to say at the end of our units or in our formative assessments, we can really use this space and use our our access to get our kids to show us what they know and, and on top of that, and most importantly, who they are and then how they can apply their skills and their knowledge and their own identity to things that are going to help them be, you know, people in, in our super, super techno- technological world. And so I think that that's kind of that additional month of planning helps us go beyond, oh, I'm going to use this resource. So I'm going to use this resource to help my students become, again, members of a global community and help best articulate who they are. It's this push to make sure that the community that we build in our classroom spaces, that we then hope and craft to, over the course of a year, to lead yes. to that action piece right this idea that i i'm an active member of my community that in a lot of ways we have that same opportunity to do that but globally which i really really appreciate you naming on the topic of you know being members of a global community and this is a a segue that i think it's going to it's a frustrating one to have to make, but I think it's necessary. One of the things that's impossible to ignore as an educator the last month or so has been the disregard Mm -hmm. for our health and safety in this entire discussion. So what has it been like for you personally? And also just what have you heard from other people that, that you talk to in schools that, you know, the feelings that have been generated based on some of the conversations that have been had about us the last month or so. I have been, it has been a, a, I say roller coaster because I felt really empowered and then I felt extremely demoralized um, from, from one day to the next. I have a, a really amazing community of teachers in person and virtually surrounding me. And so a lot of the times I don't get kind of the white noise um, about what's going on outside of those communities. But when, when I do, it is, it is harsh. It is so harsh. And so again, starting the the summer and our, our quote unquote break with uh, the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor as a black woman Hearing that, people argue with the idea that Black Lives Matter. And then on top of that, <laughs> hearing people basically say that teachers' lives don't matter is just like a slap in the face and then being like punched in the gut. All It's like, it's just so, it's, it's so dehumanizing and it's so, it just kind of takes the wind out of me. And, and being a person who has such deep empathy for for not only my my own humanity but other people's it's i just look to all of my all of my teachers of color and and all the people who surround me and i just can't believe that people have such a low um 
have such a low opinion of the people that they also then uh, demand go in and, and teach their children. Um, in the big picture, I've just been confused because it's just dueling messaging, right? It's like you, if you hate your job or if you don't, if you don't want to, you know, be like doctors and you don't want to be like nurses and you don't want to be like these essential employees, then you can just quit. And I'm just so confused because I'm like, if I just, if we all just quit, then who is going to do this, this job that you, you keep telling us that we have to do that's absolutely essential. And again, it kind of goes back to the idea that people believe that it's like in person or nothing. And I do believe that that has a lot to do with the way that, that, you know, the media portrays teaching that you have to do this like dead poet society standing up on a desk and like shouting, you know, oh, captain, my captain to your students in order to be like, you know, the teacher and that's how you change lives. I think that that's super outdated, but I do think that there is this huge um, chasm between what people think that we do and what we actually do. And there have been, and that's kind of where this conversation has been taking place. And so it's been really, it's been really tough, but it's also been really confusing because I just don't understand how you can say, we absolutely 100% need you in the classroom to, to teach our children and to educate them and teachers are the cornerstone of, of the American um, education system and simultaneously say, hey, we don't actually care if you get sick, you need to get back to your job. And another thing that I will say is that I do believe that teachers' job, teachers are essential workers. And that's why the majority of us have not stopped working since we got out of school. I have not, there has not been a day where I have not been in a summit or in a meeting or in a conversation um, including weekends, there has not been a day where I haven't done something in terms of my, my job. So whether it's reading or, or participating in a summit or engaging with my colleagues online. Um, today I tweeted because, because we found out a couple of hours ago that we're going to be uh, doing distance learning. Um, I, I have been engaging with, with teaching and educating myself the whole time. And so the idea that I have to be in a classroom to be doing work that is essential has been very disheartening and demoralizing because I have not, there has been no break. There has been no pause button even because I am very much aware that um, this work, this work that we all, we all undertake um, on our quote unquote vacation is is almost, if not more important than kind of what happens in the prep times and in the the times that we are scheduled to um, get ready for the year. Like this is the work that kind of determines whether or not we will be able to like get it to get it all done. And so, yeah, the idea that what we're doing outside of the classroom isn't essential already was was really kind of was was sad and, and unfortunate. I think that in a large way, that's kind of where we've missed the mark in a big way on this discussion generally, in that if we had just said, you know, 
we want to open up bars and restaurants first and so that's going to make it so schools have to be remote if we had known that in june i think that ultimately we would have been in a much better position now i think that the the hardest thing about the summer has been not knowing what is going to happen and so we're preparing for all of these different scenarios and it, it makes it really really challenging and so i appreciate you naming that and Overall, I appreciate you so much for joining me today. I'm excited to have you back next week where we'll continue this conversation and we'll move it towards more of the racial justice realm. But because of the way the pandemic works, everything is intertied. I'm so grateful to you for coming on and to everyone else out there for listening. Next week, like I said, I'll have Shanae back to talk about racial justice in schools. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you have subscribed on whatever podcast app you use. Leave a five-star review on iTunes and share this episode wherever you can. As a reminder, I also have my 5 by 5 newsletter, Five Things to Read, Write, Hear, See, and Do, right to your inbox. If you want to subscribe and join the community that I'm building there, the description box will also contain a link to that newsletter. Until next time, class dismissed.